You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 17 through to 33. If you've got your Bible, uh, open it and follow along with me. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not, for I have received for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But if when uh, we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, g'day City on a Hill Digital. Uh, my name is Dave Myers and it is my honour to serve as the lead pastor of City on a Hill Brisbane. Now, I'm coming to you today from my lounge room and I'm joined uh, by some members from City on a Hill Brisbane and what a joy it is uh, to be together. Uh, we're going to spend time in the passage we've just had read out for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, learning about the Lord's Supper 
uh, and then sharing in the Lord's Supper. Why don't we pray that God would be at work among us as we gather together now. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that your son Jesus chose bread and wine to be the emblems of his body and blood given on the cross for our sins. We know that he commanded us to remember him and his work in this way. By the power and the presence of your spirit, deepen our repentance, strengthen our faith and increase our love for one another so that eating and drinking this sacrament of our redemption, we may truly feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And we pray this for the sake of your son's great and worthy name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, about two years ago, I struggled with reading, struggled to concentrate while I was reading. And Dr. Google suggested to me that perhaps glasses might help. And so I visited the optometrist. I told her my story and she said, look, let's give it a go. Let's test your eyes and perhaps glasses might help you to concentrate when you're reading. And so she did the test and afterwards she came back and she said, well, actually, it will definitely help. You need glasses. Now, she looked at me, she looked at my date of birth and then said, look, old mate, you're almost 40. Your vision is only going to get worse. And so she fitted me with some glasses uh, and I remember putting them on for the very first time going, oh my goodness. I didn't think these words were blurry before until I can now see them and see the clarity that is on the page in every single word. Now, uh, some people might recognize these glasses from um, City Kids TV. These are worn by Dusty Manuscript, the resident Bible scholar over at citykids.tv. Go check out the latest episode while you're over there. Uh, But look, these are actually my glasses. They're not just a prop for a kids TV show. These are my glasses and I often forget to wear them. I have to remind myself each day, oh, Dave, you wear glasses. And whenever I go, oh, put them back on, Ah, amazing, I can see with clarity once again. Now, the sacraments are a gift from God and the sacraments enable us to see clearly. Sacraments, what are they? They are an outward and visual sign of an inward and spiritual grace. They are given to us by Christ Jesus himself. Now, the two sacraments ordained by Christ are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so today we're focusing in on the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so if you've got a Bible, keep it out. You can go to Bible.com to follow along on a digital one as well. But what I want you to notice today is that the Lord's Supper helps us to see and remember the gospel. The Lord's Supper helps us to see and remember the gospel. No, the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ, the good news about who he is, what he has done in our place and for our sins, the good news of his death and his resurrection. 
And so what I want to show you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 are six places that we are to look that will help us to see and remember the gospel. The Lord's Supper helps us to see and remember the gospel. Number one is we look up. We look up. First and foremost, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity to look up, to lift up our gaze. Now look at the way that Paul even describes where he received this meal from. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed took bread and then continues to share what Jesus gave him. But notice, what I receive from the Lord, I also deliver to you. This meal is described as the Lord's Supper. It belongs to him. It was instituted by him. It was given by him. It is all about him. You know, another word for the Lord's Supper uh, is the word communion. And so as we look up, we receive a remarkable invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an invitation to commune, to communion with him, the living Lord of the universe. You know, in the, the Gospels, Jesus himself is described as the bread of life. In the Lord's Supper, we are invited to find nourishment for our souls in Jesus as we come to him by faith. Now, this is the, the vertical aspect of the Lord's Supper. It is all about our relationship with God. You see, left to ourselves, we are distant from God. We are out of relationship with God. We are deserving of his wrath and his judgment because of our sin and rebellion. And yet in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that Jesus is the author of our salvation. Jesus has taken the initiative in drawing near to us. And Jesus has given us a meal to know that we can draw near to him, knowing that we can be brought back into relationship with our gracious God. And so when we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, we, we look up and we take hold of what Christ himself has offered to us in the gospel. Now, the second way that the Lord's Supper helps us to see and remember the gospel, number two, is, is we look around. We look around. If looking up was a reminder of the vertical, looking around is a reminder of the horizontal aspect. You see, in the gospel, we are called into a fellowship. We have communion with God and we have communion with one another. And so eating this meal together is a reminder that we are a new people the people of God who together belong to Christ Jesus. 
You see, this is the context for Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 11. You know, we know that there's a whole bunch of crises in Corinth. And this is another issue of contention. Now, I think for the most part that these believers are forgetting their identity. They are shaped more by the culture of Corinth than they are shaped as those who belong to Christ Jesus. Let's have a look at their failure to look around. Pick it up with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. It says this, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, there are factions. They, they, they come together and yet they are divided. So much so that Paul says in verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. It's supposed to be the Lord's supper where they demonstrate the unity that they have together in the Lord, but they are so divided, it might as well be called something else. Now, when we come to the Lord's table, we are to come united with one another, at peace with one another, because of the peace that is ours in Jesus Christ. But not only are the church in Corinth divided, they're also self-centered. Pick it up with me there in verse 21. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you? In this? No, I will not. You see, in Corinth, the Lord's Supper would have been part of a a longer evening of fellowship among believers. But unfortunately, the rich who had the means to arrive early had typically eaten all the food and drank all the wine. So when the bond servants and the workers, the poor in the Christian community came after their Day had finished, there was none left for them. You know, perhaps, perhaps we may not be as brazen as this in the 21st century. You know, someone's run to the table and eaten all of the communion elements before everyone else can get there. I know that often happens after the service with kids maybe cleaning up afterwards, but we can still show our own self-centeredness by not considering the needs of those around us. You know, in our day and age, for many, the Lord's Supper has become an individualistic ritual. You know, people uh, attend a communion service without any desire to be in community with those around them. You know, during this um, COVID-19 pandemic and subsequent lockdown, the, the Lord's Supper has been a really strange meal, hasn't it? So, so much of this meal is about eating it with others in the context of relationship, 
united together because of Christ Jesus. Lord, speed the day when we can be together again, not just with six people in a lounge room, but as the people of God meeting around the table, looking around at one another, loving one another in communion, not just with God, but with one another. Now, the passage, uh, it begins the first paragraph there with Paul's rebuke of them and then concludes in the final paragraph with an encouragement. Jump down with me to verse 33. He concludes, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. I've been thinking about that one this week. I wonder what else he had to say about the Lord's Supper because it sounds like he had some more instructions in this area, but we don't know. But we've got this and, uh, and we can be content with what we've got. But brothers and sisters, we, we look around. We wait for one another. We, we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ has drawn us into a real fellowship with one another. And so let's turn from division Let's turn from self-centeredness and let's embrace one another in Christian love. The third way that the Lord's Supper helps us to see and remember the gospel is we, is we, we look back. We look back. We look back to what Christ has accomplished for us. Pick it up with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus, uh, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. Now, remember what night he was betrayed. It was Passover. This is the night of night for Israel. The night of nights for Jewish people. Each year, at the same time, for centuries, they remembered the Passover event. They remembered the events of the Exodus. They remembered that they were once slaves, oppressed in Egypt. And they remember that they were no longer enslaved because of God's mighty act of redemption. You'd remember that the leader that God had raised up to lead the people of Israel at that time was Moses. And you'd remember that Moses repeatedly went to Pharaoh, the king over all of Egypt, where God's people were in captivity. And time after time, let my people go, is what Moses from God was asking of Pharaoh. But time after time, Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. And so we have judgment come. The plagues come. Plague one, plague two, plague three, and so on. And Pharaoh continues to refuse to let God's people go. And then comes the tenth plague. The plague on the firstborn children. A plague where not just humans, not just little ones, but all firstborns 
would be cut down in one night. But Israel were promised salvation that night. Israel were promised that they could be saved on that night. How? Through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. Blood was painted upon the door frame of their homes so that on that night of death and destruction of firstborns all across Egypt, the angel of death passed over the homes that had blood marked on the doorposts. The whole household was safe on that night. And then the next event to follow is the Exodus, where they've been saved from that judgment and they're now rescued and made free and carried out once again by the mighty hand of God. And yet, do you remember what Jesus is doing on this night, verse 23? He's about to be betrayed. He's about to go to the cross. And yet Jesus gives a signal to his disciples at the last supper that he is about to perform a greater act of redemption, that we are about to have a moment for all of God's people in the future to be able to look back. Israel would look back at the time of Passover and remember God's mighty hand of rescue from slavery in Egypt. Jesus says a greater rescue is about to take place. An even greater act of salvation we are called to remember. What does Jesus say on the night before he was betrayed? On the night when he was betrayed, verse 24, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' body is a body without blemish, a body without sin. And Jesus gives up his own body the very next day and goes to the cross. He says, this is my body, which is for you. This is, this is a, I'm about to die, Jesus said, and I'm going to do it for you. See, this is good news for those that are gathered around that table on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And this is good news for us who gather around the table because we gather as a people who are undeserving. We gather as a people who have sinned against God. We failed to worship him. We failed to thank him. We've failed to treat him as the God who gives us life and breath and everything. We have all sinned. We've sinned in the things that we've thought, in the things that we've said, in the things that we have done. And so it's good news to hear from Jesus that his body that is without sin would be given over for those of us who are guilty of sin. You see, this, this bread is a, is a picture, is a dramatization of what is about to take place at the cross where Jesus gives his body in our place and for our sin. But more than that, Jesus says in verse 25, or Paul says, in the same way, uh, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. You see, when they get together for this meal, they now are to do it in remembrance of Jesus. As they drink from this cup, they now are to do it in remembrance of Jesus. A greater Passover is about to take place. Blood, it was on the door frames of the people of Israel who had sacrificed that lamb. Through Jesus' blood shed at the cross, we are sprinkled with his blood that brings cleansing. Our lives, the doorposts of our lives are marked out with his blood, which is for us. You see, Jesus says there that that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There's something new about to take place in this moment. The old covenant was good. The old covenant brought, brought life for those who believed it, for those who trusted in the God who had given his law, for the God who had given the sacrificial system, for the God who had given new life to those who, who put the blood on the, the door frames of their homes in the Passover. Uh, the, the old covenant is, is good news, but the new covenant is better news. The promise of the new covenant is fuller news. There's a whole bunch of places in the Old Testament we could turn, but have a look with me for a moment at Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31 for a glimpse into the newness of the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Jeremiah 31 verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In Jesus, through his body and his blood, iniquity will be forgiven. Sin will be remembered no more. If we were to read a few chapters earlier than that in Jeremiah, we'd even get this this picture of, of a cup of wrath that needed to be drunk down to its dregs. And so there's a sense in which as Jesus goes to the cross and we see this in Gethsemane, when he sees the anguish of drinking the cup that was prepared for us, Jesus drinks that cup at the cross. And so as we drink from the cup, as we drink from the the cup of the wine, of the juice that, that symbolizes and reminds us of what Christ has done, we're reminded that he's paid it all, that he's drunk it all that he's done this for our iniquity being taken away, our sin being remembered no more. If the Passover was a remarkable moment of rescue, can you see it? Can you see what Jesus is suggesting about his death? It is an even more remarkable moment of rescue. 
This is the high point for all of God's people, not just those from the nation of Israel, but all who call upon the name of the Lord. This is our moment of redemption. This is our moment of salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, uh, we've already seen Paul say, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus, Christ, is our Passover lamb. And Jesus Christ is better than every lamb that came before him. He's better than every lamb that was given up, every goat that was given up, every bull that was given up, every dove that was given up, every animal that was given up in the sacrificial system in Israel's history. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice needed to be made. But Jesus' death is once and for all. We read in Hebrews, he is our great high priest who is without sin, who doesn't need to offer sacrifice for his own sin first because he is without sin. You know, any view of communion and the Lord's Supper where Jesus is being sacrificed again misses the completeness of his once for all sacrifice at the cross. Jesus gives his disciples, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, he gives us this gift of the Lord's Supper. Not that he needs to be sacrificed again and again and again, but that we need to be reminded again and again and again. Whenever we eat the bread, whenever we drink from the cup, we remember Christ's finished work at the cross. You know, of all the important things that Jesus said and Jesus did, it's, it's his death that is that central act and moment that he calls us to keep looking back to remembering. Let me give you uh, an extended quote from John Stott about the significance of the centrality of the death of Jesus shown here in the Lord's Supper. John Stott says this, The first lesson Jesus taught through the Lord's Supper is the centrality of his death. Solemnly and deliberately during his last evening with them, he was giving instructions for his own memorial service. It was not to be a single occasion, however, like our modern memorial services, the final tribute paid by friends and relatives. Instead, it was to be a regular meal or service or both. He specifically told them to repeat it. Do this in remembrance of me. What were they to do? They were to copy what he had done, both his acts and his words, namely to take, break, bless, identify and share bread and wine. What did the bread and wine signify? Uh, the words he had spoken explained. Uh, of the bread, he said, this is my body given for you. And of the wine, this is my blood shed for you. So his death spoke to them from both the elements. The bread did not stand for his living body as he reclined with them at the table, but for his body as it was shortly to be given for them in death. Similarly, the wine did not stand for his blood as it flowed in his veins while he spoke to them, but for his blood, which was shortly to be poured out for them in death. The evidence is plain and irrefutable. The Lord's Supper, which was instituted by Jesus and which is the only regular commemorative act authorized by him, dramatizes 
neither his birth nor his life, neither his words nor his works, but only his death. Nothing could indicate more clearly the central significance that Jesus attached to his death. It was by his death that he wished above all else to be remembered. There is then, it is safe to say, no Christianity without the cross. If the cross is not central to our religion, ours is not the religion of Jesus. John Stott, The Cross of Christ, incredible book. In a moment, when we share the Lord's Supper, let's use it as a moment to to look back at the remarkable work of salvation Jesus achieved at the cross remembering and rejoicing in this central aspect of Christianity. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Of course he did. His his resurrection proves that his death worked, that his sacrifice was sufficient, that he really did pay it all. In John's Gospel, chapter 19, when he says, it is finished, it really was finished, and his empty tomb proves everything that he has said about his death. But we remember and we rejoice in the death of Jesus, his body given, his blood shed for you. The fourth way that the Lord's Supper helps us to see and remember the gospel is is we look in. Number four, look in. Every time we come to this table, we have the opportunity for self-examination, for a sober reflection on ourselves, on the state of our heart, on the, the truth of our faith, of our repentance. Pick it up with me briefly in verse 27. Chapter 11, verse 27, it says this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Uh, There's lots, if we had more time, that we could unpack in that paragraph. But we come to the table with reverence. We, we, We come to the table in a worthy manner. We, verse 28, we examine ourselves. Now, it's not an expectation that we come perfect. Christianity is not about cleaning yourself up and and getting everything right in your life before you can come to God. It's not, I've lived a perfect life in this last week. It's actually recognizing, hey, I didn't live a perfect life in this last week. And it's actually um, being contrite about that, humble about that. Throwing yourself upon the mercy of God once again. Seeking to walk in repentance. 
seeking to be one who, who, who turns from sin, who, who, one who, who formerly failed to love and honour God as they ought, well, seek to love and honour God. Failing to love your neighbour, seek to love your neighbour. Sinning in thought, word and deed, well, see that you live differently in thought, word and in deed. Not that we're saved by living a new life. We're saved by Jesus, who's paid it all at the cross. The sinless in the place of sinners. The righteous in the place of the unrighteous. The innocent in the place of the guilty. We are saved by Christ alone, who died on the cross for us. And yet the Christian life is described as a life of repentance and faith. It's faith in Christ and what he has done for us. But it's also repentance as we seek to turn from sin and turn toward God. Repentance is that whole idea of a a change begins in the mind, a change of attitude that then leads to a change of action. I want you to take a moment just to reflect upon your own life and consider perhaps unrepentant sin in your life. Not that you feel so weighed down and condemned, but that you'd bring it to the Lord whose arms are open. That you would repent of sin. That you would confess it to God. That you would confess it to those who you've sinned against. And know for certain the wonderful Forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the fifth way that the Lord's Supper helps us to see and remember the gospel is we look outwards. Number five, look outwards. We've, um, we've already considered the powerful dramatization of the gospel in this meal. And it's, it, it's this embodiment, this picture of what Christ has done in giving up his body, in having, in shedding his own blood for us, that as we repeat, not the sacrifice, but are reminded of the sacrifice, as we repeat that, that the world can actually look on and see a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a look back at verse 26 again. We went over that quickly before. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. This is a powerful moment. We proclaim the Lord's death every time we share in this meal. And we proclaim the Lord's death to the believers that are in our midst. But we also proclaim the Lord's death to unbelievers who are looking on. Unbelievers who join us in our church gatherings. We know at City on a Hill Brisbane, when we're meeting offline and in the cinema, we regularly have people who aren't followers of Jesus come and join us. We discourage them and actually say, don't share in this meal when we share the Lord's Supper together. But we want them to see it. We want them to understand what's going on. And it might well be that right now you're someone who hasn't been a churchgoer. You'd never really identified as a Christian, as one who has your trust in the Lord Jesus. And perhaps you're tuning in to City on a Hill Digital. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you've allowed us into your lounge room, onto your laptop. We are so glad that you've gotten this far 
into this church service and this particular sermon. And it might have been that you've been following along with what we've been doing as a church for these last three months, for the last couple of months as we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. And it might be as we've shared the Lord's Supper, and it's been a little bit weird. I'll give you that. We did it on Zoom. We did it out in a a paddock. Uh, We're doing it in lounge rooms. We're doing it now in a lounge room. It's, It's a little bit weird compared to how we normally do it, but it's a powerful symbol. And I trust and hope that in this time, as you've been looking on, And even right now, as the next 10 minutes, as we go to start sharing in this meal together, my hope is that you will get a better grasp of Jesus. And so brothers and sisters, those who are already following Jesus, we we look outwards. You know, when you bring your unbelieving friend along to church, when your housemate is watching along with the live stream with you right now, you've got a conversation you can have with them after the service. You can explain the significance of this meal. You can explain how powerful this is as you reflect upon and point them to Jesus' body that was given and his blood that was shed. Look, if you've been following along with City on a Hill, whether it's today's your first time, whether you've been coming along the whole of digital or maybe you've been around our physical gatherings before this as well, and and you've actually seen and understood something of the gospel of Jesus Christ through this meal. We want to invite you to participate in this meal. We want to invite you to become a Christian, to put your trust in Jesus. We're so glad that you're tuning in. And you know, you might be thinking, hey, Dave, um, actually, you don't know some of the things that I've done in my past, and I'm sure I wouldn't be welcome at the table. The invitation is come, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how shameful your last year was, no matter how shameful your last night was, the invitation is come. Put your trust in the one, Jesus, whose body was given for you, whose blood was shed for you. If you want to take hold If you want to say yes to the invitation that every time we share this meal, the gospel message is proclaimed. If you want to take hold of what Jesus is offering in his death and in his resurrection, we'd love to help you. We'd love to encourage you to become a Christian. Uh, A Christian is simply someone who says three simple words to God. Sorry, thanks and please. God, I'm sorry for my rebellion. I'm sorry for my sin. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he lived my life. Thank you that he died my death. Thank you that he was raised again. God, please, please help me to trust Jesus and please forgive me of my sin in his name. Amen. Uh, If you want to pray a prayer like that, uh, pray a prayer like that. Say sorry, thanks and please to God. It's a fantastic first step to, to following after Jesus. And look, join us today in a few minutes' time. We're going to eat. Uh, You could even press pause in a moment and you may not have been prepared for this. You can go get some bread. You can get some red liquid from the fridge, whatever you can find. You you may not be prepared for this, but press pause in a moment and go get the elements. Go get something that looks like bread, something that looks like wine, and and come and join us at the table. And likewise, if if you have responded or would like to respond to Jesus today, putting your trust in him, please send an SMS 
uh, with the word Jesus to the number uh, that you can see on the screen right now. We would love to chat with you. We'd love to answer any of your questions. We'd love to walk with you. We'd love to help get you connected into the family of God. Well, the Lord's Supper, it helps us to, to see and remember the gospel as we look up, as we look around, as we look back, as we look in, as we look outwards, and finally, as we look forward. As we look forward. You know, I think sometimes we miss something of this forward aspect of the Lord's Supper because we spend a lot of time rightly looking back. But, uh, but you notice in the text, there's a call there that we must look ahead. We must look ahead. Look at verse 26 again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This, this, this meal now, as we look back, we also look forward longing for the Lord Jesus Christ to return, longing to be seated at his table, longing to be physically in his presence. I love this quote from Michael Green about that looking forward aspect of the Lord's Supper. He says this, each communion service is a foretaste of heaven. It is a precursor of the messianic banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb when His bride, the perfected church, will be united with Him in joy forever. In the midst of social disintegration, political danger or personal agony, this service invites us to lift up our heads for our redemption draws nigh. It invites us to see the cross and resurrection and the salvation springing from them as the first installment of God's future bliss for his people. It proclaims our God reigns. No wonder the early believers cried in their native Aramaic at the supper of the Lord Maranatha. It means, O oh Lord, come. It was the cry of aspiration from the believers who longed to be forever with their Lord. It superbly expressed the forward look at the Eucharist of Thanksgiving. What a wonderful picture. And in a moment as we share this cup and this bread, let's use this as an opportunity by all means, we look back with gratitude and thanksgiving for all that the Lord has done for us in Christ Jesus. But we, we look forward with eager anticipation. We long for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We long for that day when those same hands that had nails pierced through them will wipe every tear from our eyes. We long for that day when there'll be no more sin, when there'll be no more suffering, when there'll be no more worldwide pandemics, where there'll be no more cancer, where there'll be no more depression, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more mourning, there'll be no more crying. The old order of things will have passed away and will be gathered around that table, welcomed, young and old, man and woman from every nation, gathered because of Christ and all that he has done for us. And, and so as we eat and as we drink now, take yourself to perhaps the best wedding banquet you've been to, with the best wine that you've 
drunk, with the best food that you've tasted, and picture yourself in something so much better, so much more glorious, something eternal in length, satisfying to the deepest needs of our souls as we gather around Christ himself, as we raise a glass in thanksgiving. Hear, hear to the King of Kings. Hear, hear to the one who suffered in our place, who died on the cross, who was raised again. To him, we, we give glory, we give honour and we give praise. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we ask that right now you would give us eyes to see the meal that you've laid before us. That you'd help us to see the gospel, to remember the gospel because of this gift that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. Father, we, we gather as a people who are undeserving. We don't presume to come to your table, but we thank you that you welcome us. We thank you that the call from Jesus is a call to come. We thank you once again that Jesus' body was given and that his blood was shed. And we ask that right now you'd be at work powerfully in this lounge room and indeed in lounge rooms scattered across our country and even the world, drawing people to yourself. Father, would your Holy Spirit do what only he can do in awakening those who have yet to put their trust in Christ, may they do it now. And for those of us that are trusting in Christ, may we long all the more to see him, to behold his glory, to be physically in his presence. And may this gift remind us of all that is ours in him until he returns. And it's in his name that we all pray. All of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.